Welcome to the Measuring What Matters podcast. Measuring What Matters is an independent community forum for nurturing dialogue and critical conversations associated with community performance metrics. Join me, Marshall McCallum, as I interview individuals entrenched in change-making in Calgary. Our guests are passionate about community prosperity, well-being, and how to measure it. Measuring What Matters is a project of the CityX Lab, hosted and powered by the Institute for Community Prosperity at Mount Royal University. For more information on the project, visit measuringwhatmatters.ca. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Measuring What Matters podcast. My name is Marshall McCallum, and today with me, I have Cynthia. Uh, Cynthia is a member of Vivo. Uh, I believe you're the CEO over there, right? That's right, the Chief Evolution Officer. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, How are you doing today? I'm doing really great, Marshall. How are you? Thanks for having me. Oh, it's it's my pleasure, really. Um, So I just want to start off by having you uh, tell our audience a little bit about yourself. Oh, pleasure to do that. I, um, as I mentioned, I'm the Chief Evolution Officer at Vivo for Healthier Generations. We are a charity on a mission to inspire a holistic mindset to live a healthy life. And what we really hope is that that will inspire people to be change makers in their own lives and in their community. And in my other life, I'm also co-chair for Active City Collective, which is a group of really passionate uh, Calgaryan organizations that are really focused on sustainable well-being for the citizens of Calgary. And now I know you're also involved with uh, the Measuring What Matters project. Can you explain a little bit about your role with the project? Sure. I am integrated with the Measuring What Matters project through Active City uh, because we're looking at what makes Calgary the most livable region in Canada and what are those pieces that are that quality of life uh, and citizen well-being that contributes to community prosperity. Uh, With the Active City, of course, we also look at things like what are the contributions in terms of economic, social, human, environmental contributions. Yeah, economics has always been a really big part of that, um, what we understand as well-being, especially on a a citywide scale. What's really more interesting, I guess, now and moving forward is kind of that social well-being, right? That's been coming up more and more in different studies. Can you tell me a little bit about um, your definition of community prosperity? Like, what does that mean to you? Oh my gosh. I would say that it's been a work in progress um, from the beginning of my career in terms of what community prosperity and well-being is. And um, early on in my career, I worked with a lot of seniors, a lot around chronic disease and end of life. And prosperity from that perspective was from an individual and focused on what meaning and values and purpose um, were and how the community really comes together to help each other and to pay it forward in terms of volunteering and kind of also wisdom sharing from a life lived. Uh, And then I kind of moved into high-performance sport and people who had Olympic ambitions. And that community prosperity around youth and young adults was really based on um, what are the things that relate to being successful in the world and being best in the world? And how do you measure that from a quantitative perspective? And now in my role as chief evolution officer, it's more about current and future generation prosperity and how that relates to healthier generations and really being able to tackle some of those large-scale societal issues like diversity, inclusion, and sense of belonging. Can you tell me a little bit about the the metrics that you're currently using? What kind of indicators are you tying from? Are you using your own set of uh, data or are you pulling from data that already exists? Right. I, I can talk about that from two perspectives. From the Active City Collective, 
of course, working with Dr. David Finch and Dr. David Legg, they have done that whole playbook 2030. And they looked at a number of best in class and also world benchmarks and local benchmarks in terms of what measures community prosperity. Um, and, and the landing where we landed in terms of active city, uh, some of the things that we're measuring around an environmental perspective are things like emissions, active transportation, from a social and mental perspective, you know, how are things in terms of people's mental well-being coming out of pandemic or even during pandemic? Economic is a huge one because we typically don't um, measure those things in, in the active city space. Out of that study, there were things like, you know, the active city contributes $3.3 billion a year to Calgary's economy, that it employs over 43,000 people, that there are over 4,000 organizations involved, that there are over 111,000 volunteers that are involved in this sector, and that, you know, it touches four out of five families in Calgary. So when you kind of put all those things together, uh, those are some of the things that we're measuring from a city perspective. And then Vivo, uh, with our research and innovation lab, we're looking at, um, at a community level, how are people more healthy, happy, and more connected? And what are some of those individual indicators around prosperity that kind of roll up to a healthier community and a healthier city. So kind of taking from the individual perspective and extrapolating outwards from there. Yes. Yeah, we, we have a saying that we borrowed from um, Otto Scharmer at uh, MIT, and he, he calls it shifting from ecosystem to ecosystem, uh, because typically everything is very siloed, but people live in an ecosystem. So how do we look at things from an individual perspective? but an individual lives because we're a very social being in, in a network. And how does that network then contribute to the built environment at home, at work, at school, at play? How do those environment then connect to make a larger, healthier community? And then how does that community then affect population health and change? And how did you get involved with this kind of work? Well, it's been, it's been a very interesting um, journey. Um, Vivo itself started out as a regional recreation center and Around our 10th anniversary, the board said, if places like Vivo are doing such a great job, how come all the indicators around health and well-being for children are actually going in the opposite direction? They're sitting more, they're less happy, there's more mental issues, like what can we do that's different? And our typical response is to make a program that fixes things. And we're really good at making programs, but if, if programs actually solved all these big crazy issues, then all the world's problems would be solved right now. And, and they're really not. And that really pushed us to think about if, how do we look at things from a systemic perspective and that Vivo itself can't really solve this on our own. We have to work with other partners, with other industries, with other sectors in order to actually make that generational change. And that is kind of what started this journey around what are the things that we measure? So what if 3,000 kids have swimming lessons? What impact is that actually making in their life? And how do you measure those things? If you were to put Vivo into another city, uh, instead of Calgary specifically, who would your first contact be? Who's the most important outside player to have into your team to be able to measure those things uh, holistically for the city? This is going to sound crazy, but it's actually the citizens themselves. it's It's that whole thing about not about me without me. And you actually have to engage with the citizens to see what's important for them and how they actually measure prosperity and what's important for them because we've gotten into a bit of a trap that the experts know and if if people would just do what we told them to do everything would be fine and it's actually not working 
And that's much easier said than done. Uh, I know like that's uh, something that's been coming up often in, in the research and discussions was how do you actually incorporate those the citizens? How do you get people involved in it? And how do you get people to trust you, right? That you're going to be honest and open with their data and their information and represent yeah. it in the, their correct light. Yeah. So for us with Vivo, I think what we have in our in our favor is that we're actually in the community where people live and we're kind of not really going anywhere. We're, we're, we're in here, we're, we're a place where uh, people come here from when they're preschoolers to grade school to high school students, families live in the area for 10, 15 years at a time. So uh, we have to do a lot to earn that trust. And so it's more than just about listening to what people's feedback are, but actually co-creating solutions, going through the messy part of building and failing and trying again uh, and, and trying and keeping on trying. Yeah. I know that uh, for all kind of social innovation projects, failing is a critical part of it and not to kind of push that aside, but to kind of embrace the failure and to, to recognize what it is that has gone wrong and change for the future. Yeah. Like, can you tell me about any kind of things that have gone, I know it's terrible to talk about, but oh, no. anything that's gone wrong, really, that, that you learned from in the process? I don't know if things, yeah, exactly. So we have, a, uh, we try and approach it with more of a growth mindset. So it's not about what went wrong, but like, what is maybe an unintended consequence or what did we, there's always like, what did we learn from it? And um, obviously I'm drawing a blank now, but we have millions of, <laughs> we have millions of, examples of like oh my gosh um and, and one might be a primary example of like when we were doing doing the expansion design for for vivo we thought oh we should add x and x and x but actually when we went out to the community asked what's really important for them they had a totally different set of answers and so we actually it actually changed the design of what vivo is for its expansion and we've um, it's allowed us to be more innovative because we we're now introducing things like an indoor park and it has rolling hills and it has, you know, it's more natural because people were asking for a connection to nature. People were asking for more opportunities for spontaneous play more social gathering for more ability to have relaxation and meditation and rejuvenation, not always just the high energy sports. Um, so now we're going to have this beautiful balance between Eastern and Western philosophies of health. Uh, and we never would have gotten to that. We would have just replicated a cookie cutter uh, type of expansion. Um, and we're, now we're able to try something new because we've been co-creating this with the community. Well, that's awesome. Uh, now, in the last year and a half with the pandemic, I imagine it's been considerably difficult for people to come in and enjoy those spaces. You're probably starting to reopen and everything now. Has uh, anything come up out of this that uh, you think has changed people's mentality moving towards these kind of spaces? Are people more excited to be there now? Do they appreciate it more? Or? Yes. So what we found coming back from um, pandemic and through the opens and closures is like we had three types of um, audiences that were wanting to come back. One is what we call like uh, COVID fatiguers. They were just like, I just want to get back to my routine. Um, and they were kind of the first back. And then we had the like risk cautioners. And as long as they could review all the information on the website and that we had a safe environment and these are all the protocols that we had in place, then they came back. Uh, and then there's sort of like the risk averse that were kind of, they were sending their neighbors in to make sure that was, <laughs> <laughs> and then they decided to come back. Uh, but what we also did is that it's not just, it was like, how do you, 
now shift to where people are at. And if people weren't comfortable coming back to Vivo, where do we meet people where they're at? And that was where we uh, shifted our Vivo Play Project, which is our four-year program with the Public Health Agency of Canada, to actually do things out in the community, uh, to engage in risky play, to kind of meet people where they're at and not have to be inside a facility to do things. Uh, and that has been super successful in terms of being able to shift and pivot. Uh, and then coming back, it's it's super interesting that people are excited to return and to be able to get back to that um, sense of normalcy and, and the things that they love to do. Our piece that we're trying to balance is like, how do we still maintain that safe environment? And for us, kind of that health is that new wealth. And how do you make sure that you can have that safe return? It's probably far too early, just after the reopenings to tell, but do you think that there are going to be a lot of like health repercussions coming out of this? Like people that might've been more active in the beginning, or like prior to the pandemic that now have fallen into this new kind of mundane routine. Is it, is it going to be hard for those people to kind of get back into everything? I think it's the same with everything, right? I think what it takes 30 days to build a new habit. And we've been in this for 18 months. So <laughs> I think people have had that. I think also uh, people who haven't been active, previously now have a new love for being active because they've been outside more they're riding bikes they're you know taking risks to try new things and building confidence that way so it's been both ways where we're seeing some some really interesting trends is uh, with kids so we're noticing kids who haven't had their swimming lessons to kind of build in their age appropriate development that they're falling behind um, children from their other their peers who have kept up with their physical activity and socialization. Also interesting around mental health for kids and for, you know, one or two year olds who have actually grown up not knowing anything more than being in a pandemic. I think that's going to have some interesting percussions uh, moving forward in terms of community well-being. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm very lucky. Like I have two young girls and uh, we live beside a park. So like we actually get to go out and run around and like for a little while there, they had the jungle gyms all closed down. So that was not great, especially with uh, my my one-year-old at the time that just wants to run. (laughs) Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Now, an interesting thing with, with Calgary specifically, we are so spread out and diverse. And now we've got all of these new kind of projects and uh, communities popping up all over the place that might not have the best access to, uh, to uh, recreational facilities. Um, do you think that there's an opportunity to go out and reach with these people, maybe not through uh, an actual physical means, but maybe through this, uh, this uh, internet of things that has been, become so popular? I mean, specifically with the, the kids, um, everyone's been doing online school now. Do you think that there's a real opportunity with that for uh, online physical education? We did try it at the very beginning. Uh, And I think people, again, have been so fatigued about being on screens. It didn't have the same impact that we actually thought it was gonna have. We thought that people would actually enjoy still being able to connect with their instructors. We had online preschool for a number of months so that people could still have that connection with their preschool teacher and give parents a little bit of a break. Again, I think that that two-dimensional learning is not the same as learning and taking cues from other other participants in the program, other preschool students, uh, we noticed that there was really a change in the quality of learning from being online versus uh, being in person. People have the energy of kind of being with other people. And that in itself, I think, has an effect that we didn't really realize the impact of that. 
with these kind of assessments that you've been doing, is it just something that you're picking up on the other end? Or is there a different kind of like surveys or methods that you've been incorporating to, uh, to bring in the community? Yes, so we have had the online surveys. We've been working with the University of Calgary to do some observational research on how people are interacting in the community in physical spaces. Uh, we also have been working, doing some work with wearable devices and we've been uh, creating something called a, a V-score, which is kind of, if you're actually more active, does it contribute to your happiness and your well-being? And is it actually helping you have more protective factors uh, for illness by being more active and interacting with others? So that work is underway. We call that the Play Scientist Project. Uh, that research is just wrapping up. And then we're starting into the qualitative end of that, of meeting with the participants and getting receiving their stories from participating in, in the study. Oh, that's really exciting work. Wow. Um, Thank you. I, I, being able to look at all of the different data points and kind of pull in the, the entire story of it is going to be uh, really fulfilling. There's going to be a lot of really interesting factoids to kind of pull out of that. I hope so. I'm excited to hear what it's going to be. We're, do you think, we're just seeing the first blush of the data. Do you think that um, a project like that is scalable to, to kind of a citywide perspective? Like, how could people um, have control over their own data in that to see if they're in track or in line and going to be healthier? Yes, and that's exactly our, our whole premise around Vivo Social Innovation Lab is how do we do things in our own backyard first uh, and then look at how we can scale it if there's other parts of the community or other parts of the country that are interested in doing the same thing. So we're very much like in the open source collaborative mindset of like everything that we learn, uh, we want to be able to share out and if other people can use that information or if we can help other um, parts of the city trial things that they want to do we're more than happy to do that so i know that uh, we talked a little bit about the data that you that you collect personally and the data that you pull out from other areas is there any information any kind of indicators that you wish were being more represented or that you wish were being uh, looked into further by other organizations you know, I think probably one of the biggest learnings that we have um, in our work is that just because it's hard doesn't mean that we shouldn't do it. And measuring people's well-being and happiness is hard. Like, <laughs> we're just, again, we probably prototype and test a number of different things. And I don't think we've landed on anything yet. But I think we gravitate to the quantitative because it's easier to do. But it's not necessarily reflective of the holistic human experience. And so, yeah, I think I, I always applaud people who try. I just ran across a study. I don't know if you've seen it, Marshall, on the, it's the Harvard Flourishing Program. And they're looking at a flourishing um, matrix that looks at, I'm just looking at here, happiness and life satisfaction, mental and physical health, meaning and purpose, character and virtue and close social relationships. And how does that come together to create a flourishing score? And so I, I find those kinds of studies super intriguing if, if people are able to create, you know, indicators that we can also replicate or try. <laughs> the last point there, actually, uh, meeting and closeness. That's something that uh, is really interesting now, specifically on like a, a Western kind of ideology and, and path. There's research that suggested or that has suggested that people have fewer contacts and fewer friends that they're close with 
than previously. And now with the integration of more newcomers into society, a lot of those people are bringing together more community aspects and community uh, living, right? So they want to be close to their neighbors. They want to have this big community. Um, So it's just, it's a really interesting kind of meld to see where things should be. If maybe there is something that we can learn out of those new new, uh, ideas or newcomer aspects that are coming together, that maybe we've lost in this Western kind of ideology? Yeah, totally agree. So some of the work that we're doing with Brookfield Residential uh, is that they have a a new community that they've been bringing on board the last number of years called Livingston. Uh, So we're doing a longitudinal study with people who are moving into the neighborhood on what it takes to actually build community when you move into a new neighborhood so that we can provide some insights to Brookfield in terms of what are the elements that people most value that bring people together. So I actually also love the city so much that I moved into Livingston. Oh, um, and I we we back onto the pond, and uh, it's amazing how that pond, as a walking spot, has now become a gathering place for neighbors to get to know their neighbors, uh, and how people are walking their dogs. And now I, c- I have actually seen. I wish I had a time lapse over time how much the engagement has increased over the last year or two, uh, because people have a place for social connection. And they're actually learning to know more about their neighbors than they're walking together or they're actually stopping a little bit longer to have more conversations. You can see the kids growing up uh, and how their development is. The community also put things on the pathway like hopscotch and other games. And so now different generations are showing other generations how to play hopscotch or that kind of thing. And so it's been a lovely um introduction into how community building can be done with just some really simple things that the environment is super important to actually mold some of those behaviors around social connection. It kind of sounds like uh, moving back to your previous point about having it kind of bottom up, like incorporating the actual citizens and just giving them a canvas, giving them a blank open area that they can create and mold to what they need. Instead of putting something down cookie cutter that's worked somewhere else, right? That is exactly it. And each each community will be different. Like what works in the Northeast may be different than what's going to happen in the Southeast, or it may be the same. I have no idea. Yeah. That's awesome. And especially that moves again towards the differences that we have in the different quadrants of the city, right? If you give them an open area that then evolves to what they need specifically, that might overtake some of the uh, competencies that uh, they are lacking in other areas. Yeah. Well, so one of the projects that we have also in our area is called Creating Coventry. And we actually worked with the community because there were nine parks in the community that were leave behinds from when the developers were here. And then the city took them over and they were all in different states of repair. And normally they would just put a tot lot in there, mow the lawn and and kind of call it a day and would be done. But we actually worked with the community and they created nine, now they have nine different kinds of parks related on the residents in that area. So now that there's an outdoor basketball rink that can converts into an ice rink at night, in the wintertime, we've got pollinator corridor, there's community gardens, each one has like a different theme. And now they're connecting all the parks so that we have all the assets that are now uh, related into the whole community. Uh, and then and now the, the big vision is like, how can we work with with the city of Calgary and all of our other partners 
to kind of create this um, map of all the strengths and assets that we have in the community so that people know the different ways that they can play and, and be together in community. That's awesome, creating that kind of uh, social ecosystem. Totally, yeah. And again, like you said, based on what they wanted in that area, not just like, oh, we've always put a tot lot there, so we're just gonna put another one. But the fact is that tot lot's been there. Those kids that live there are no longer five. They're like 10 or 15. And so their their uh, lives are changing and what they want are changing. And what I love is that before that happened, we actually did a baseline of what was happening in the parks and people were either sitting or standing or doing nothing in the park. And now we were able to measure like how much more engagement is happening in the park because it actually is providing a meaningful life for people where they live. And that's an interesting kind of idea as well with uh, kids growing up in different communities and communities changing because that, that kind of uh, interacts with the indicators on this project. Right? They, right. they have to be adaptable. They have to be able to change to what it is that we need to measure at that point in time. If we're stuck and stagnant in one time, eventually we're going to evolve beyond the indicators that we're looking at, and they're no longer going to be helpful. That's totally true. And like you say, each community goes through its own aging out process, right? So um, yeah, again, so uh, when we built Vivo, there were a lot of kids that were five years old. So we actually didn't have lane swimming. But the thing is, once the kids hit 10, where do they go for swimming? Because it's all like play, play space. Uh, so with expansion, we'll be having that, that flat water pool so that people will be able to do different things as they grow older or, or as their needs change. So even uh, for people that are experiencing health issues or difficulties, that they can still enjoy having a place to come. That's awesome. Just to kind of to wrap things up and kind of put a, a button on everything here. <laughs> now, if you were king for a day, if you oh. had the position where you could change everything in the city, you could talk to whoever you want, you have all the resources available to you, uh, how would you move forward to kind of create a, a healthier space and be able to measure that healthier space? Um, honestly, again, I think it comes from having the capacity to engage more diversity, inclusion and accessibility at the table and having their voice heard. Like we have like whose voices are we not listening to that we need to, to have because that's so important and who's being silent that has something really important to say. So, I mean, that would be a big thing. But then the also thing is like, also releasing the, the bureaucratic barriers that don't make sense anymore. And how do we get more comfortable with ambiguity and risk-taking? Because that's where the innovation comes from. So that would be my big thing is like to get rid of the, we've done that before. That would be my magical wand. Uh, and to just be really open to failing forward into what it can be. And because it's never going to be so neat and tidy. And oftentimes the most fulfilling part of this work is the messy stuff. Yeah. And the hard stuff, because like such amazing things emerge from that space. Well, thank you so much for uh, for being with us here today. Um, I oh, want to thank <laughs> I want to thank our listeners for coming in and listen to us ramble for a little while here. I love it. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Marshall. Appreciate it.